Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. Today, we have an illustrator who has drawn some characters you probably grew up with, such as Tony the Tiger, Keebler Elves, what else stuff? Captain Crunch. Captain Crunch. Love Captain Twix Crunch. Rabbit. Mm-hmm. He's also won an Emmy and an Oscar for work that he's done in the film industry. So hope you enjoy this episode of Tell Us a Good Story. The story of my life, I'll take her home, I'll drive all night. Stuff. Are you excited for this one? I this <laughs> this is so out of left field for us, and yet I am so excited because I have so many like questions to ask him. I think we're going to learn a few things here yes. in this conversation. Yes, Actually, we are. I know we are. Mm-hmm. So, ladies and gentlemen, our next guest is a director, a storyteller, an animator, an Emmy Award winner, and an Oscar Award winner. Yes, that's right. You heard me. Emmy Both. and Oscar. <laughs> yes. And probably a winner of a host of many other things in life. <laughs> this this guy literally just wins in life. He is also the pride of Johnstown, PA. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Tell Us a Good Story, Mr. Mike Owens. <laughs> Here we go. Hello. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hello, Mike that Owens. A, that was an awesome introduction. Thank you. Can I use that for future things? Oh, please absolutely. do. <laughs> please do. You can eat. Yes, absolutely. You can show that to your wife or anybody else you, you want. <laughs> Whenever you walk into the door. Absolutely. Just have home, that play. Just love it. <laughs> so, well, Mike. Yes. I, I don't think I even told you this stuff. Uh-uh. Mike was cracking me up when we initially were introduced uh, via Facebook. So we're texting back and forth. Mike told me via Facebook Messenger that he reviewed, I think it was episode zero or the, the pilot of our podcast. Okay. And he said, I'm nervous because I may say an inappropriate word or two. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not used to kind of filtering myself like that. And I told him, listen, no worries. This is not live. We can edit anything out, Mike. So many things that we want to get to. So we were looking up your hair love. Oh. We were looking up your commercials that yes. you've done, your IMDb page. And I'm like, Steph, <laughs> this guy's a big deal. Not only does he have Wikipedia page, he has <laughs> IMDb page. <laughs> like, that's when you, How you know, know you've made it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The has, Wikipedia part. Better. Yeah. He literally has his own IMDb page. So for listeners out there who's not familiar with this gentleman, let me go through a, just a few things here. All right. He's a big deal. He went to Columbia College in Chicago, studied animation film. He was a lead animator on the Animaniacs. He has worked on a commercial cartoon icon such as Toucan Sam, Tony the Tiger, Keebler Elves, Charlie Tuna, Captain Crunch, <laughs> Trix Rabbit. Uh-huh. That's what I can't wait to talk to you about. I cannot <laughs> wait to talk about that. He helped set up one of India's first animation schools. And he maintains relationships with some of his students who are now creatives themselves and Academy Award winners themselves. And then before being a co-creator of Danger and Eggs, he was on multiple pilots, shorts, pitches for Disney, Nickelodeon, Comedy Central, Cartoon Network. He's been part of Mystery Science Theater 3000, Animaniacs, Yo Gabba Gabba, and the animated version of Mad Magazine. I mean, we could use the whole show just to talk about everything he's done. On top of this guy, (laughs) on top of this guy winning a host of awards. Yes. That is unbelievable. And to think you came from a small town. I did. Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. To this 
big deal, IMDb, your own page. Yeah. My friend, that is impressive. Thank you. Yeah. How, it's, uh, how, how, did, how did you end up in, in animation out of Jones? Uh, it's always uh, been a thing. I was, you know, definitely uh, watching Bugs Bunny and Droopy and Tom and, Tom and Jerry was my thing as a kid um, and just uh, pretty mesmerized by it. Had a bit of a knack. My sisters are both artists, um, so that was kind of part of the house. My, my mom's very creative. My dad's very funny, uh, has a good taste in music. Um, so it was, I did the, I got the bug for it pretty early. I wasn't one of those kids who like, I made movies in my basement with the camera. Like, I wasn't that kid, yeah. but I watched a lot of animation. I'd memorized like the What's Opera doc uh, okay. yep. animation. Like, I'd memorized the opera and sing it. And, but I just became fascinated with something I read that was, you know, like it was someone approached Chuck Jones, who's a famous um, Warner Brothers animator, and introduced their daughter to him and said, this is the guy that draws Bugs Bunny. And that made zero sense to the kid. They're like, no, Bunny, Bugs Bunny is a, a real living bunny, you know? So that like idea that lines on paper could become a real living, breathing character in someone's head became fascinating. So like, how is that done? And that's kind of, you know, that's very retrospective genesis of it. I, you know, didn't think that so much at the time. It's something I was about in high school. It's just always kind of been, that was, that's who, what, what Mike was. He was that guy. Like I painted a big jean jacket with Bugs Bunny on the back because it's really cool to do that in high school. Really? <laughs> I mean, you're, you're that big of a fan or we're that big of a fan. Yeah, no, I still am. Um, but like, yeah, I, I had my own special nerd gallery to live in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, wow. I just went for, I just owned it and just made the, my dad constantly, hopefully he'll listen to this. Cause I like saying nice things about him. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he, he, every time I talk to him or he tells someone about me, he talks about how I packed up at 18 and moved from Pennsylvania, to Chicago, having never been in a city bigger than Pittsburgh for more than two hours at a time or something. It was terrifying to move to Chicago, but, oh, um, it was I, it was the one place was close enough that I could learn what I wanted to learn. Mm. Uh, so I want to know, because we grew up with these cartoon characters of Captain Crunch, <laughs> Tiger, the bunny, the rabbit, from, the keep. Yeah. Twix, Trix the rabbit. rabbit. Like, yeah. How on earth did you get involved with these characters? Uh, so there was, um, there's a studio in Chicago called Calabash animation. Um, and uh, they, but when I was, just getting into the field it was sort of while I was in school they were like the studio to know in town in Chicago they had a long-term contract with General Mills which is based here in Minnesota where I am now um, so they were the go-to studio for those a lot of those commercials I mean other studios had done would do them but they were the ones to do it I just was actually just good timing everyone that went to Columbia College everyone that was in the animation passed through those doors and, and you know drew in that studio you know, not a giant studio, but they were doing high quality character animation that I've, you know, still drawing on paper, like, you know, just the thing that I've always been fascinated by doing um, and being recognizable characters, super hard to draw. I learned a lot by working for that studio um, to do, to get, to meet the quality, I guess, of it. But uh, that was like their bread and butter was all of those characters. And I Right place, right time, honestly. <laughs> so you mentioned those were hard to draw. What made those so difficult, I guess, for an artist? If you get an iconic character wrong, it'll show 
it, it just a ripple effect of marketing of the character uh, is of, right. you know what I mean? Like of what people see that character as um, you, it had, it can't just be all over the place and looks like one rabbit in one scene and a different rabbit in the other scene. Mm-hmm. Cause animation's all about learning to draw something that isn't necessarily your character. So adapting how I would draw may not be like, I don't wouldn't instinctively draw the tricks rabbit as a character. Like I, my stuff's much weirder. Um, but <laughs> you have to learn the craft of it and learn how to understand the volumes of, you know, Lucky Leprechaun has a giant head um, and they would do sculptures of those heads so that we could see it from all angles to really understand it. So it's just the craft of, of being, I mean, animation is that craft of being, having good draftsmanship, being an actor, uh, being super patient. <laughs> um, so you're performing, you're drawing, you're, and I did do a lot of, like did theater in high school, not because I was an extrovert, because I wanted to be good at animation. I wanted to understand delivery and performance and rhythm of speech and all that. So it's just a lot, there's a lot of pieces, all the things I like about art in one craft. So do you like drawing better or do you like the more computer parts of it? I definitely like drawing. I mean, I, I, my drawing's done. I mean, I still have sketchbooks all over the place. Um, but my day-to-day work is digital. So I have, this is my stylus in my hand for comfort. It's like my Linus blanket, I guess. I noticed that. I, I was like, this guy can't even have a conversation without, without having a pen in his hand. hand. I can't. It's, I mean, I've got a desk over here. You're at my workstation right, right. now. Um, so I have a Cintiq tablet, which is basically a monitor that this pen works on. So like an iPad would with Procreate or any of those, you know, a stylus on a screen. But it feels st- like the base of my stuff is still drawing. So it's digital production, but the heart of my work is still drawing. Interesting. So you met your wife with Animaniacs. Is it Animaniacs? Mm-hmm. Right? That's where you met her? Yeah. And I heard from a bird that you have a, <laughs> you might have a little story about the second date you had with her. Oh, yeah. Um, I hope she's okay with me telling this story. Uh <laughs> Our second date. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that part of it. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, we had, um, Wendy was like the, the only female director at this studio in Chicago that I worked in. So um, she already stood out. And we were good friends for a long time. And uh, for, you know, just hanging out, you know, working and saying drawn cartoons together. And then it wasn't until like a year later that we, you know, well, we should probably go out. So um, our first date was a Dunkin' Donuts in Chicago. Um, we were like, like we'd known each other very well for a long period of time. But the first official date was Dunkin' Donuts. And the second date was living in India for four months. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that escalated quick. <laughs> yeah. Wow, you must have made quite the first impression. They were like, yeah. what, did, what did you buy her at Dunkin' Donuts? <laughs> oh, my goodness. So they were going to set up this place in India, and uh, I was early 20s, and I was like, I'll do it. I went, and then I was there, and Wendy helped me put together the curriculum because there had been no teachers there. From, well, I found out when I got there. Um, like, they were very beginning um, okay. building that up. So Wendy helped me prepare the curriculum for teaching, I've never left the country before. I went to India. It was the first time I ever left. I ever been to Canada, and like I w- went through like 
India is all things all at once, all of the time, oh, um, in the best possible way, but a lot. So teaching at that school, um, this curriculum that I put together, I had 300 students, 150 in the morning class, 150 in the afternoon. Oh my gosh. Two languages. I didn't speak any of them, but there was enough <laughs> cross translation. But the curriculum like ran out in, I want to say two weeks. Like we thought we'd really beefed it up. Um, and then, so I was like, when do you need to come here? Uh, and so she hopped on a plane and we just uh, lived there for two, that was the second date, living in India for two months, teaching animation, four months, sorry, four months. Wow. Um, living in a, a neighborhood where all these like Bollywood producers lived. Okay. So, you know, the big dancey number of four hour mm -hmm. dance movies, Indian movies. Um, and so there are like these big houses all around, little tiny shacks of the people who built the houses, like the, the range of sort of the classes there was really interesting. But we were from walking to school every day, there was a producer or director for Bollywood that saw us like the only um, super pale redhead white people in town. <laughs> uh, they needed some extras on their set um, because they were shooting a scene that was like a dance scene, but there was going to be like they, an international hotel was the setting. And so okay. they, wanted, they wanted some uh, people that look American there. So we got invited to go be extras on this set. And the costume for me was a Statue of Liberty tie. <laughs> like that's how you knew I was from America. <laughs> uh, so yeah, lots of things happened on that second four month second date. So that was yeah. a long date. That was a very long date. <laughs> yeah, that was you know, a very long date. If you if you you learn like if that's the person or not in an experience and like that. So great. That's a good point. You, you cannot put on airs. You cannot. Yep. You know, pretend to be anything but. As it's survival there, like, I mean, even though we were yeah. taken care of, like, that's a big thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was good. <laughs> You'll figure it out quick on, on that type of trip. For sure. Yeah, or, I mean, you traveled. That's right. Or, you know, what we should have done. We should have just, like, remodeled a house, and we would have figured out real quick if we were compatible or not. <laughs> yeah. That's another thing you can do. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't go to advise India. it. I would not advise no that. You guys are saying that like you've done that. Maybe. Uh, yes, okay. we Maybe. Have. yes, we have. Yes, we have. I can see it in your eyes. Yes. So, so Mike, what's the story behind how you created or what uh, created Danger and Eggs? What was kind of the inspiration for, for that series? Oh, well, it goes back pretty deep, pretty far. It's, uh, I always started drawing it in the 2000, early 2000s, drawing Philip as an egg character. Because um, I was exploring something that was a character that um, had to face its fears, face their fears, because it felt like a very universal thing. Um, and, you know, what is that, what drives a character and a character that's kind of afraid of everything was interesting. Um, and it was interesting because I realized, oh, that's me um, exercising, you know, therapy through my cartoons of being a terrified child of everything. I was, uh, I was afraid of, my dad was a super good swimmer. I was terrified of water, which, you know, he was super proud. I'm sure. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, dad. I said a nice thing about him earlier. Um, you know, I was afraid of, uh, dirt. I was afraid of bugs. I was afraid of, you know, leaving my house. I was like, I just full of those kind of things. Uh, and then the other thing was my, uh, my mom was a emergency room nurse. 
Um, so she had seen, you know, the worst of the worst and right. was very cool about it. Like she didn't, you know, things didn't make her queasy. And, uh, we would hear these horrific stories of all the things that could possibly go wrong at dinner, you know? <laughs> and so like, there's this general air of like, God, the world is terrifying, but having a nurse as a mom, I was kind of prepared. Like I knew how to like dress a wound. And I, you yeah. know, you know, like if I got sick, I sort of like knew what to recognize and all that kind of stuff. And I knew to, before all of this, I knew to wash my hands. And stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, the combo of that must have just like always never left, you know, those early formation years. So I think having the combination of having being afraid of everything, having a mom telling me about all of the horrible things, but also how to take care of myself in an emergency eventually led to Philip, who's a master of first aid, but he's afraid of everything. Yeah. <laughs> and the idea that he's an egg really only comes down to the idea of being fragile and like how dangerous the world is. Right. And so it was just like, how do I embody that as quickly as possible? And it was kind of easy. So like why he ha he wears a helmet, you know, a uh, bicycle helmet. He's got arms and legs for no reason other than to carry his first aid kit, but he does have elbow pads and wears rubber gloves to protect himself from germs. So it was just, yeah, that led, that never fully left my brain, became, came into fruition in the early 2000s. It is now an award-winning yeah. cartoon. Like, when did you guys get the news that you were nominated? Uh, yeah, that was a crazy year. You have to actually... I mean, Amazon definitely helps, you know, being attached to Amazon and they'll, you know, put in a good word for you and all that. But you have to actively like nominate yourself almost like that for your consideration thing, right? You have to sort of be your own advocate for this. Um, so we just started anything we could. Like we, the first thing was People's Choice Award, um, which is everything uh, from cartoons to TV to movies. And we submitted that. Um, we got nominated for um, best animated series. We were up against Rick and Morty and The Simpsons and all this kind of stuff, oh which was geez, goodness. which is insane. And so we got to go to the the, the big hoo ha in LA and walk the blue carpet. It was red. Um, <laughs> you know, Wonder Woman walked by, and um, it, it was. Uh, it, I almost stepped on Mary J. Blige's dress. Oh no, bodyguard. <laughs> yeah. So like, it was just a fun experience. It's definitely less oh, glamorous in person. When like you see the red carpet, we're all just sort of literally in a hot parking lot surrounded by orange traffic cones being herded into the theater. But uh, so that's cool. Um, but didn't win. But come on, you know, like first just show. Experience. Out. Experience. So cool. You know, like, oh, that's Ted Danson sitting next, you know, two tables over. Um, pretty great. Uh, and then, you know, they have so many tickets. We got Wendy's. Uh, was my publicist, so she got to go in. <laughs> and our friend Dave from Chicago um, was essentially my bodyguard. He was dressed in all black and, and oh. had sunglasses on. No one, nice. no, it was fine. We got in, and they're like, "Oh, he," I'm like, "They're with me," and they're like, "Okay." And I was like, "Ooh, that's uh, <laughs> this is fun." <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's just a world I've never been a part of. So, like, to play with it was fun. Okay, I want to talk to you about hair love. Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, Please. if you have not watched this short, you call it a short film, a short yeah. clip. Yep. 
It's it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal so, to the point where I'm in tears watching the lots end. Of people are. Like, I don't want to like give it away, yeah. but you guys, it's so so incredible. In fact, I just pulled it up here now. There's over 27 million <laughs> views on this thing. You guys, you have and to so, download it. It's so good. This short is, is yes. about African American father mm-hmm. who has to do his daughter's hair for the first time. Yes. And that hair takes on a life of its own, right? It does. But how did you come up with that? Because it's well, so that's, good. Well, I don't want to take too much credit for that because it's not my idea. I uh-huh. was on the team, right? It was, um, it give you a little backstory of the, the, of hair love as a thing and how this all comes down to like right time, right place, being prepared when the time comes. Right. So hair love is created um, by Matthew Cherry, who's a former NFL player turned movie producer. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, so his story in general is just fascinating, but he was, there was a lot of these videos online of um, African-American fathers doing their daughter's hair. And this idea that like, that's not the idea of representation in media is a lot what danger and eggs is about as well. And so this idea of black families being represented on TV were never this. It was just always the, it was the negative. Matthew wrote a children's book inspired by that um, and had that illustrated. And he, he's a, he's a smart guy. And he immediately started thinking about developing it into animation. And he had a Kickstarter campaign for the book and for the animation the most successful one ever for an animated short. Wow. Uh, it like, it just took off like just cause that was like that clear sign that everyone had an experience that wasn't being a story that wasn't being told. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause what I'd read was the goal was to uh, fund $75,000 mm-hmm. and what came through what was, was over 300,000 yeah. to make this short film. Yeah, so which well is incredible. exceeded the goal of, of what they were trying to. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a, it was amazing. Uh, I mean, he's a very good at like reaching out to people and just keep the story going. And he's, he's a, he's an excellent man. He's really smart. So how I got involved in the film um, is one of the directors, the animation director. So the three directors on the film, Everett Downing, who was the, the main animation director we knew each other from Chicago. Uh, we worked at the same places in Chicago. We went to the same school in Chicago and we've, and he, we've watched each other careers over the years. Like how, you know, someday we're going to work together. Like someday the right project's going to come along. And uh, he worked at blue sky. He worked at Pixar. He, you know, he now works at Netflix. Um, and we'd see each other at animation conventions and, you know, you know, I got a show. Oh, I'm working on this next Pixar movie. So like you just see that, like, that core group of people succeeding in your class from college. And then finally, like we had just started Womo Studio. We're, you know, working on projects for home and I get an email from saying, uh, my friend Matthew is making this film. Do you have interest in being one of the animators on it? And of course I did, you know, like it was just, just like looking at the book. Yeah, I'm on and everything in Everett was attached to, I trusted being great. And I think because of the success of Danger and Eggs and sort of the messaging of, of representation in that show also was sort of a good fit. It's all, I learned a lot from making the show about representation because being a straight white dude, you don't think about that stuff um, until you're working with diverse group of writers and going like, oh, there are more stories that aren't being told. And so I think, again, the combination of those skills, that timing, those people that I knew, I was good enough at the right time with the right people to work on an amazing story. So how do you find out that you've been nominated 
for an Oscar <laughs> as part of this this team? It was uh, they like they do their announcements like really early in the morning in LA, so everyone films themselves watching it. So I saw it when I found out when I watched uh, my friend Everett and the rest and Matthew Cherry and the, and uh, Bruce Smith, the other directors. Um, five o'clock in the morning in LA sitting like this you know, nervously <laughs> by the edge of their couch. And then suddenly their arms are up in the air cheering. Um, you go through a process where there's like a short list because there was, there are more animated animations on this like new golden era right now um, because of this sort of remote working and accessibility to software that uh, there were, must've been 96 shorts nominated on the short list. Oh my goodness. Wow. And then you have to like, and they have to put the screeners out for everybody. And he was, Matthew was definitely hustling to get the, the word out there. And then all of us loved the project so much we were doing the same. And so that whole, like I was saying earlier about with Danger Days getting nominated, you have to be your own advocate. That's what he was doing better than I've seen anyone do. And so then you get onto the, you know, the shorter list until you get to those final six. And that's when everyone stands up and cheers. Uh, it's, you know, I, my hometown thinks I did the whole thing myself or something at first. You know, <laughs> so, but, that's what I heard. That's what I read. Yeah. Like. It's, but the, the, the thing that I like about animation is it being a collaborative art form. Because there is like who is, you know, to feel like you're one brain creating something together is pretty challenging, amazing um, and exhausting, but great. So to be able to be involved in things like Hair Love and be able to have a show like Danger and Eggs and work on these iconic characters, uh, sort of trusting your gut that this is what I want to do. And I'll, I'm constantly getting better. I'm constantly training. I'm constantly, I'm never feel, and no artist ever feels like they figured it out. No one, actually no one in life ever feels like they figured it out. Right. Yet, you know, but you still move forward. At the Oscars though. Yeah. I would love to know, so you, you and your wife make the trip to the Oscar ceremony. We do not. You do not? You don't. I thought I saw a picture of you holding. That was the Emmy. Oh, that was the Emmy. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, uh, like, that's the thing. It's like I, I said how like at the, the other award ceremonies, Wendy was my publicist to get in and Dave was my bodyguard to get in. They limit like who gets to go to these things. You know, um, I want to stop you right there because you're like, oh no, I didn't go to the Oscar. No, no I was, was holding the, that Emmy. Was the Emmy. That was the Emmy. It wasn't sorry, the Oscar this time. Sound really... it was, no, I did it. <laughs> it's amazing. But my question, and so this can go along with the Emmys. Yeah. I was curious where you're sitting because once they call that name, Steph, okay. I would be sprinting. <laughs> I would be sprinting up to that stage, whether I'm supposed to speak or not, just to get, that's, just to get camera time. Yeah, no, that is a, that's an excellent question, actually. And uh, the Emmy story actually is really good because at this time, like we've been through the Critics' Choice, didn't win that. Um, the Annie Award, which is an animation-specific, um, I was nominated for my character design, um, lost to like Samurai Jack or Mickey Mouse or something, which is also fine. Um, but I, I got to meet you know a lot of my heroes in animation, um, Glenn Keane, who's the head animator for The Little Mermaid, um, wow. I've always like, like here I am. He's like, can I have your business card, Mike? And I'm like, oh, yes, wow. sir. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Here's 10 of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so all cool stuff. But at that point, we're getting used, you know, that failure thing. We're getting used to like, it's awesome to be nominated. That statement is 100% true. It always sounds like, you know, BS, but it's totally, see what I did there? I didn't swear. That's good. <laughs> um, it's but, you know, it's like, it's great, but like, yeah, it's a long shot. Like, we're up against Mickey Mouse, we're up against Rick and Morty, we're up against The Simpsons. Like, it's fine. Um, so we go to the Emmys, and I got um, 
But yeah, you got all, a bunch of us got to go because for directing, um, it's we were nominated for best directing of an animated series, and we have a directing team. So I was supervising director, so I oversaw all episodes. We had voice directors, we had a showrunner. So there's a team of seven of us because there's so many parts in animation. Uh, and then we had episodic directors who like they're two of them from here, um, the people that had never worked in animation before, uh, Sarah and Drew. We got them to come to the Emmys with us. Their first any you know professional work like this. Here we are on the red carpet at the Emmys. They see this in the balcony, right? And so when you watch award shows, you know the people that are nominated are always in like the first five right. rows. Yes. Or so just because we were sat in the balcony, we're like, okay, we're not winning. <laughs> yeah, like they they just <laughs> they put, put us in the way yeah. Like that's cool. I get it. It's fine. This isn't this fun though. This is great. Um, but you still, the whole time, we all still hold out hope. Like, it's like, it could happen. I don't know. But, like, but, you know, his, so far, history is like, you know, we're out of our depth here. Um, awesome, we've made it this far, but just take that and move on to the next thing. So, we'll wait, our category finally comes up, and, you know, they're announcing everything, all the people that are nominated for it, uh, for the directing award. And, they announce that Danger and Eggs had won. And, it, and like the whole balcony just erupts and everyone's screaming. But because we're on the balcony and there's seven of us, we had to go up the balcony, down the steps, through the lobby, down the oh, hallway. Man. And so they, you know that music they play while they're waiting? Yes. They had to loop it a couple times. <laughs> And so we're all running up. Some people are more excited. They're like running ahead of, of me and Chatty. And then our one supervisor, our one guy who helped us um, with our pipeline, he was also a supervising director. He's, he stopped everyone. It's like, no, you guys got to go first. And like, Aww. so we all got up on stage. Um, and it was, uh, it was a great moment because like everyone's like waiting for like, where, who won? Right. What are, who are these people? <laughs> and so it's not that like, the camera wasn't on us in between, you know, awards to like how excited we are. They didn't even know we were up there. So to make that run just made it like that, that, that like, you know, Olympic slow motion Rocky run or something. It was uh, to get up on stage. It's pretty mind blowing. The awards are really heavy. Is it's it? Right, it's back there. I don't know if you can see it because of that light. Um, that light's really bright. Sorry. I'll, <laughs> when we're okay. done talking, I'll show it to you. If That's you okay. Oh, please. Um, so you hold it and it's like overwhelming and like, you know, it's uh, super great. And we're all up on stage and we, we agreed to have Sarah, um, who is uh, to accept the award. She's the first um, African-American woman to ever win in that category. Really? Wow. Yeah. How so, special. And, and for a show that's about representation and inclusion and uh, just different voices, uh, she, uh, she gave the greatest speech, did swear a lot. We, <laughs> um, but like, cause you're just like, none of us, like we had totally like let, let this dream go to a point. Like we made it pretty far. This is great. We'll have some laughs and drinks later. So that to be after losing to two other major awards being shoved up in the balcony, it was cool. <laughs> what amazing. a phenomenal story. That's good. <laughs> it's funny because Mike's like, if you look over my shoulder, here, Mike, let me show you what are normal folks. So here's our mantle. Here's what we have, sir. This is a this sucker's heavy. It's a candlestick. This is a yeah, a Sorry. candlestick. Yeah. This is heavy. This is what normal folk put if you paint on it, their if mantle. You paint it gold. <laughs> Oh my goodness! That's amazing. That is phenomenal. Yeah, but the the funny thing is, like other sort of like behind the scenesy kind of stuff. So they have that award. There's seven of us, right? 
and they hand you the award. But that award that's on stage is like the onstage presentation prop award. Okay. So you get backstage and they immediately take it from you. And you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> And then, because you have to go back and you do a bunch of press, and you have to, you know, you get the sign for that you won and all this thing, um, and then you get your real Emmy, but it's not engraved yet because they don't know who's going to win oh, at that time, right. and not everyone would necessarily get one. Uh, you actually have to buy extra ones. Really, <laughs> almost like a Super Bowl ring. Yeah, you yes. give it out yes. to your staff or whatever. Yes, yes. So, but um, we are able to like say Amazon. Please come on, Please. right? <laughs> Which they did, okay. so we all I, got one. Not to be nosy. Oh, you're gonna be. I'm totally gonna be. <laughs> do you know how how much is an Emmy? Like, how much do you have to pay for an Emmy? I think they were three hundred bucks. Okay. Okay. That's 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 reasonable. Yeah. Like you could. It's not like five I would grand, shell out for grand. my own Emmy if I had oh, yeah, to. Yeah, if yeah, Amazon if didn't do it, like I would, I would totally shell out like, for my own Emmy. Mike, since we my know, route. since we know you now, do we have the ability to buy our own <laughs> Emmy and just like <laughs> hang own. it here? I think, I think that's how it right works. Here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'll submit the application there to Amazon go. here. Put it in my <laughs> Amazon cart yeah, after we're done here. Okay, Mike. Yes. I want to hear one more story, and it's about La Jolla. Has something mm-hmm. to do with La Jolla. My husband pronounces it La Jolla or whatever. Oh, totally calling you out. Yeah, but it is La Jolla. Thank you, dear. You're welcome. So, okay, I want to hear that story. Well, I had just, I had just told Mike <laughs> earlier. As soon as he got on, I had Mike, listen, Mike, we can edit out anything you say. I typically say one stupid thing per episode. You texted me. You have some. You have some story about La, La Jolla. La Jolla. I'm like, La Jolla? <laughs> Steph's like, there's your, there's your stupid thing already. I'm like, right out of the gate. La Jolla. And then you said, then what did you call I it? I thought it was in Mexico. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh. Again, this is how my husband is sheltered. Just another reason how my husband. Quite all right. Girl, it gives me an excuse to tell the story. Yes. I want to hear do, it. Please do, La Jolla. Okay. So uh, it also takes place in a cave in La Jolla. So when I was living in Chicago, I had... Finally got comfortable living in the city. I have always wanted to take a solo journey across the United States and then through Canada. So I had decided I was, I'd been to India. Like, I got this. Like, I'm totally, like, uh, my, my ego was at its highest at this point in my life. You do anything. Um, yeah, because, yeah, like, you know, from fearful child to, like, surviving in Chicago and, you know, working on Animaniacs. I was like, I can do anything. Uh, <laughs> uh, so what I did was I packed up a backpack. I got a... Amtrak ticket across the country to LA. And the idea was I was going to um, work my way up the coast on trains, hiking, totally by myself. I was going to work me up to Vancouver Island. Um, I had the ferry boat picked out. I had, I was going to go to Whittier Mountain in Canada because the train went all these places. Like I just had this, it was for a month, solo journey for a month. Something I've always thought about, but was afraid to do. But I was finally had enough ego and arrogance to do it. So I get out there, you know, I'm traveling, just backpack, whatever I could carry on my back, ready to be the man of the world. While I'm there, uh, Wendy's uncle lives in San Diego and her dad was going to be down there. And like, just go, like, you have to meet my uncle, Mike. He's like the greatest guy. He's like sailed a boat from Japan to Hawaii or something like that. I wow. forget what direction you want. He does paragliding. Like he's a doctors without borders guy. You know, he 
he's a fascinating guy. He's that uncle. She's like, you have to meet him. And I was like, it sounds great. I I was the like, I am up for anything trip. Like I'm totally fearless about everything from like meeting new people to like being on a ferry boat in Canada somewhere that I hadn't been before. So he's like, he'll take you and do cool stuff. Like if you're in for doing anything, do that. It's like, great, perfect. So uh, before I go up north, I'm going to take this train down to San Diego. Uh, the first couple of days of my trip, go down. It's great. Mike is as awesome as you would think. We go down to Mexico, find some little tiny restaurant to have like lobster in, like real, like not touristy at all. Like he's just that kind of traveler. Um, so like, yeah, this is exactly what this is about. <laughs> like this is how a man sees the world and like what an inspirational guy to be around. And then we came back to, to San Diego. Um, they live close to La Jolla. And he's like, do you guys want to go uh, ocean kayaking? Um, and there's river kayaking where they have like the boat that's like all the way up yes. and you have a helmet on and all that. And ocean kayaking is like swim trunks and a paddle and you're just sort of, you know, flip flops and you're sitting on top. And I was like, yes, of course I want to do that. I am a man <laughs> of the world. I'm ready to do that. Like, this is like, this is how this adventure starts. Like, um, you know, on the Pacific Ocean, paddling a boat around. And then La Jolla, one thing they're, they're noted for is the La Jolla Caves. That, so there's this huge cliff um, where the, the, the tide has carved out these caves um, that people will explore into with, on their ocean kayaks. And Wendy's dad's like, I ain't going in there. That looks dangerous. I'm going to go look over here where it's just water. Um, and I was like, well, I'm here ready to do anything. I'm ready to take on the world. Um, no, you know, no cave's going to stop me. Um, so I paddled my way over. Now, remember at the beginning of this, I talked about being afraid of water. I'm well past that, right? So, and I also burn really easy in the sun. Don't even care about that. I'm a pale redhead out on the, you know, in my swimming trunks going up to these caves in the ocean. And, uh, I make it into one, which is just sort of like carved out like a, you know, like a half dome, um, with some stalactites hanging down, just, you know. And I managed, like, I see the tide coming in. I've never paddleboard before, but, you know, I'm a man of the world. I can do it. So I go into this cave and I time it just right. It's amazing. It sounds different. Like, it's just, you know, and an experience of nature that's amazing. So I paddle out of that before the tide comes back. It's like, man, that was great. Like, look at that cave. That cave next to it has an opening on the other side. That's not just a little hole in a wall. Like, that's something to explore. Like, I'm a man of the world. I can do that. <laughs> I'm on my, you know, my month-long adventure. This is day three of my month-long adventure. Um, so I timed the waves to come in, watching the tide, watching other people do it, see how they did it. And I was like, okay, now's my time. And I go in, I make it to the cave, and it's like, you know, it's like cathedral. You know, like it's high ceilings, just wide enough for the boat, the kayak to be in. Oh, wow. The, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. So the, at a moment of, I have like that, like you're coming to the end of the cave where like you hear the choir singing as like the lights being like, it's the most beautiful thing I've seen in my entire life. Like Grand Canyon level, mind blowing kind of thing. And a split second later, I'm fighting for my life because the waves had come and thrown me against the wall of the cave. And like, I, like it was a split second of like the most beautiful thing I ever saw to like death. Scariest thing like, ever. Yeah, scariest thing ever in a heartbeat, right? This might be another Philip related thing that like, no, you should be afraid of things. Right? <laughs> it was fighting for my life to drag myself out. And I dragged myself to the, this little cove or just like smooth over round rocks. Um, don't know where my boat is, don't care. And I drag myself up 
and I look and my, there's a gash in my leg. That's like, you know, the things that my mother warned me about as a, as a emergency room nurse, like you can see your own meat sort of. Oh <gasps> no. And you know, and just like, uh, all of the, I, I noticed a lot of these things later, but like the big gash was clearly like, I hadn't seen that side of my body before <laughs> like that much of my own muscle tissue and bleeding and like all the skin had ripped off the bottom of my feet oh, from trying to stand on the rocks and drag myself out fighting the ocean. Cause like, I thought I was better than the ocean Any respect for the ocean. Right. Um, and I dragged myself out and this, again, this is day three of my heroic month long adventure. This is as far as I got. Um, it was that moment of like, so you're ready for anything, are you? Are you sure about that? Because <laughs> this is anything. And I drag myself out of these rocks and I see two people down in this little cove who are smart and waiting for the tide to calm down because they're experienced kayakers. And the guy comes over and you can't get out other than through water because the caves are on like a four story cliff. Oh, man. You know? And so uh, this guy looks over and is like, I think I need some help. But the thing was, is like, I was, I was more angry that I'd ruined my trip than afraid when I finally was like safe. My instant reaction was anger, um, that I had ruined this for myself. And this, the guy that came over, there happened to be a fireman's convention in town. He was a fireman and he wow. came over and he closed the wound with his bare hands while we like, while he figured out how to get a lifeguard to help us. He was like doing all like checking me for head injuries and all that kind of stuff. And I was still like very mad about it. He's like, can you see as this, you know, can you move your leg? Can you feel this? And I was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, good. Then shut up. You're lucky you're alive. <laughs> <laughs> shut your pie hole. I'm trying to save your life here, sir. And then immediately all of the <laughs> adrenaline rushed out of my body and I started feeling all of my injuries. Cause like I didn't feel I like big gaping wound. I did not feel it because of like shock and adrenaline to like stay alive. And then once he's like, you know, shut up, you should be happy you're alive. <laughs> Suddenly I was like, Oh man, this is okay. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and they, uh, there's, I could see people up on the cliff looking down and eventually there was a news helicopter came flying over. Oh uh, meanwhile, gosh. Wendy's dad and her uncle Mike are on the beach, just like drinking margaritas. Like, oh, I wonder what the, all the fuss is about. <laughs> and uh, I think her dad was still on the water, actually. And they're like, yeah, some crazy redheaded <laughs> went into the cave. And he was like, oh, God. He's like, who's my daughter dating now? Um, and so I got, you know, the injury taken care of. Lifeguard threw down bandages. And, the, you know, I had a smart guy there, skilled, calm guy to, to bandage me up enough. But I still needed to get out. There's no way I was going to paddle out. So the lifeguards had to come on a jet ski um, from the lifeguard station. But this cove is like, like I said, all washed out rock. So it's very shallow. So the jet ski can only go so far. So the lifeguard has to get off on a surfboard, paddle over to get me on the board, to take me to the jet ski and take me back. And so, you know, he's like, he's like, Oh, fireman bill. Like they knew each other. Like they're like, you know, high-fiving and whatever (laughs) they're doing. And I'm like, I'm still bleeding. They strap the surfboard to the back of the jet ski. He gets on the jet ski. They take me out before the waves come back. So like, yay, we made it. And so I'm going across the water back towards the lifeguard station. And the surfboard is not, it's more of a bodyboard. So it didn't cover my whole body. So the only part of me that was injured was my legs. And they were exposed to the water. And they were just skipping across oh, the ocean. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
Smacking. And, yeah, like you, know, like you skipped a rock and it went on forever. Braids. Those were my bloody legs. <laughs> oh, jeez. And I'm trying to like, like you tell the lifeguard, like we need to do a, we need a different scenario here because you're going to rip my legs off. But I'm behind the jet ski, behind the engine, so we can't hear me hear shouting. Anything. I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, super pale redhead, get bloody legs, being you know on his heroic manly <laughs> monthly journey. And then finally, he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. Were you saying something?" I was like, "Yeah, this isn't working out for me. Uh, can I get up on the jet ski?" He's like, "Yeah, but I can't. You have to do it yourself because if I get off, we're both going over." And so I was like, okay, I'll climb up on this jet ski now. And I finally climb up in jet. The news helicopters are hovering over. The crowd has gathered by this point. Oh, no. Takes me back to the lifeguard station. Two lifeguards meet me. They carry me into the lifeguard station. They clean out the wound. They put a new bandage on it. They call the ambulance. Well, the ambulance is waiting for me, as is the news crew, following me up the beach. As like I'm being carried by two like super tan, muscular lifeguards um one on each side like you know leg and, and back baywatch yeah on the, very, on the beach. Baywatch, and i am uh super pale and bleeding um realizing that like i'm you know i i my ego got the best of me uh so i go to the hospital i'm you know sitting in the emergency room and like they're cleaning out the wounds with saline solution which oh. <laughs> so like saline solution and my own blood in my swimming trunks kind of cold you know, three days into my month long solo journey. Oh. And then Wendy's dad comes in and just does one of these <laughs> shaking his head. What did you do? <laughs> and so they take me back to uncle Mike's house. Fortunate him and his wife are both doctors. Oh, okay. I was I, like, the t- I keep talking about right place, right time, right people. Couldn't be more true in almost every aspect of my stories. Now that I'm telling them. So the, so I had to stay my first two weeks of my month long journey um, spread eagled on their couch with his, uh, with Wendy's aunt, um, debreeding my wounds on a daily basis. I couldn't get up or I'd pass out. So I had to like pee in like an apple juice jar. So like oh, the opposite man. of like, I'm a man ready for the world to like bleeding spread eagle on a couch, peeing into a jar around family that you had just met and living on their couch for two weeks. But that led to, uh, I was starting to get, was I healed? I got stir crazy. Um, Wendy came out and her uncle helped us rent an RV and we spent the other two weeks traveling all over California in an RV. So it also, it still ended up being one of the best trips I've ever taken in my life, but so different than what my (laughs) ego man brain was telling me I was going, it was going to be, I was going to be on mountaintops. I was going to suddenly grow a full beard. You know, I was going to be. So masculine. (laughs) Yeah. And here I was, you know, you know, being in a stranger's living room, passing out because I lack of, you know, whatever. So, yeah, I think that's where that ended that's up. That's a good one. So, Uncle Mike's like, listen, Wendy, <laughs> I don't care what you got to do. <laughs> you got to get this guy off my couch. Okay. I'll even, I'll even I'm pay. A, I will I'm buy an RV. I will buy an RV <laughs> you know, to I get this guy out of my way. house. Okay. I don't care what it takes. Oh, yeah. That's probably a conversation I wasn't a part of. <laughs> Uh, but the, the the joke we tell about it is Wendy always refers to herself as Plan B. <laughs> Plan A was Mike travels around the world by himself. Um, but still, like that, like that true test of the unexpected. Are you really ready for it? And what do you yes. do with it when it comes? Like it was all very heroic in my mind. And when it took a flip, how do you adapt to that? So again, huge failure <laughs> on some levels, but also great lesson. 
this has been phenomenal. I want to be sensitive to your schedule, to your time, Mike. Ladies and gentlemen, for more information about Mike, you can go to MikeOwensProductions.com or you can go to WomoStudio.com. That's W-O-M-O Studio.com, which he owns with his wife. And what's the WOMO stand for? It stands for Wendy Owens and Mike Owens. <laughs> Wonderful. Very good. So, Mike, thank you, sir, so much. Thank you. you provided us with a ton of good stories you here. Did. Good. Yeah, this was good. very good. And I wasn't sure ever... how I was going to fit in because you guys have some high caliber people. And I was like, I don't know if I am. An... That's oh, true. My, yes. Winning an Oscar, an Emmy, you know, you don't fit into the oh, high goodness. caliber. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's high caliber because we've I've got in, Mike I've Owens. been in the Midwest too long. I'm very humble about stuff. Yes, it's you are. Absolutely amazing. We are Mike. very honored that you would be on our I've, show. Yes. Well, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's always fun to talk about, so I uh, appreciate it. Our pleasure. Anytime you want to talk about something else, we are all ears, my man. You are <laughs> have an open invitation to us. Listeners, if you like what you just saw, like what you just heard, please go to iTunes, go to YouTube, and subscribe, rate, review this podcast. That's the only way we'll be able to continue to produce this. Where else can they go, Stephanie? They can go to kevinandsteph.com. That's all I know, though. So, is that it? You crushed it. Yes, crushed it. Thank you, listeners. The story of my life, I give a heart. I spend a love until she's broke.